Battleground Surrey. We put in place a plan to connect people to the care that they need. And the people of Surrey have to be very wary. The NDP and Liberals trade shots in a riding that will be critical to election success. Suffering in Strathcona. They're not safe living there right now. A man with serious injuries left lying for hours before anyone called for help. And wacky politics that built our province. Democracy isn't the most efficient type of government that the world has developed, but it's by far the best. The dynasty that defined the 1960s. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight on the campaign trail where both Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson and NDP leader John Horgan have turned much of their focus on Surrey. BC's fastest growing city is once again expected to be the battleground where this election is won or lost on key issues like hospitals, schools and policing. Richard Zussman reports. It's something Surrey voters are plenty used to. Promises from getting rid of the tolls on the Port Man to rapid transit. Now another renewed commitment to a brand new hospital in Surrey. And the money is in the budget, budget 2020. This is not about promises. This is about delivery. Horgan was supposed to speak in front of the proposed hospital Wednesday, forced inside by rain. The NDP says this could have been done years ago, but the Liberals sold off the land for the hospital while in power. They sold the silverware to balance their budget. The Liberals responding, the project is nothing more than a plan on paper, seemingly forgetting there is money on the table. There's talk. There's nothing more than talk. And the people of Surrey have to be very wary of an NDP government. Surrey has nine seats. Six won last time by the NDP, three by the BC Liberals. Wilkinson in the riding Tuesday. Territory both leaders will cover many times. City Councilor Jack Hundall says his city could easily determine the next Premier. It's going to be now a matter of getting the right messaging out and getting out, uh, uh, going out and shaking, you know, all the hands that you can sort of in the new COVID world. The two parties also differ on transit. The NDP found the money for the new Surrey Skytrain, while the Liberals didn't support the project after a regional referendum failed. Now, Hundall is asking both parties to ensure the project goes all the way to Langley. If we have the ability to expand it right through Surrey, through Clayton, all the way to Langley, I think that'll be a, definitely a step in the right direction. Portable is also a crucial issue. The NDP promised to get rid of them all. And as you can see, that problem's still not solved. But education advocates in Surrey willing to give the NDP a break because the Liberals had so few schools built. But the number of schools in the hopper are amazing compared to what we had over the last 16 years prior. I would characterize this as a failure by the previous government to put us in a position where we could meet the objectives. And if that isn't enough, the police transition now sneaking into the conversation. Wilkinson opening the door Wednesday to revisiting provincial approval if elected for a transition from the RCMP. A clear sign leaders will say a lot, if it means votes in Surrey. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now with more on two key ridings we'll mm -hmm. want to watch. Keith, what stands out about these two? 
Yeah, in, uh, indeed. There, as Richard uh, mentioned, nine writings in Surrey, but five of them are pretty strong NDP. Two are pretty strong VC liberals, uh, but two in the middle, I think, are potentially up for grabs. Take a look. We're talking about uh, Surrey-Cloverdale, currently held by the VC liberals, and, and Marvin uh, Hunt, the MLA there. Uh, he won by a little more than nine points, uh, a little more than 2,000 votes. And Ginny Sims in nearby Surrey Panorama won a riding there by a similar margin. Uh, but if the polls tighten up, Ginny Sims, that's a riding that could flip. And if the NDB can, can, can maintain what appears to be an apparent lead in the polls right now, that riding could flip into their fold. And why this is so important, Chris, is literally if this race is as tight as a lot of people think it's going to get, the difference of two seats could determine who determines, who uh, basically forms government in this province. It certainly was the case in 2017. If we get back to that scenario, literally those two Surrey ridings could determine the outcome. And a number of other ridings are like that in other areas of metro in the province. We'll be focusing on those ridings in the weeks ahead. All right. Look forward to that. Thank you, Keith. Yep. Well, NDP leader John Horgan continues to face questions about whether voters should trust him with a number of controversies dogging his campaign right out of the gate. Jordan Armstrong has the latest on that, including some context from a longtime political pollster. John Horgan is different. We can trust him. Ah, that T word emphasized before the NDP leader stepped up to the microphone, perhaps knowing he'd face questions about it. Sure enough, he did. Do you think voters are going to have a hard time trusting you this time around? Not at all. First of all, with respect to the CASA agreement, I gave you just a few examples in recent memory of an inability for uh, the Green Party to work effectively for the interests of all British Columbians. What do you got in your hands there? Uh, documents. CASA was the power-sharing document signed with the Greens, which included the promise not to call an early election, a promise now broken. He has made it very clear that he is putting his party and his party's interests and his desire for a majority government ahead of the interests of people of British Columbia right now. Another broken promise is the one involving an NDP hopeful in Stikeen. Indigenous leader Anita McPhee was blocked from running for the New Democrats. Instead, the candidate will be former MP Nathan Cullen, even though the party supposedly has an equity policy. Right now in this province, some people haven't even named their candidate yet, some parties. Clearly, this equity mandate is being ignored. It's definitely not the, the, the right type of situation to start campaigns on, uh, but it's too early to tell whether this is going to stick. Veteran pollster Mario Canseco says the takeoff turbulence could make way for a smooth campaign flight. At least that's what the NDP hopes. And look for them to highlight Horgan's record on the pandemic. They're counting on that uh, level of confidence from many British Columbians to say they will forgive us for calling this election now because they're happy with the way we're handling COVID. The challenges before us are grave. They're, they're very important and we need to make sure that we have stability to address them. A bumpy start, but plenty of time to recover. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. All right, turning now to today's COVID-19 numbers for B.C. We have 91 new cases, bringing our total to 8,395. No new deaths, so that number holds at 227. 62 people are in hospital, 18 of them in ICU. 6,789 people are considered recovered. That's about 81%. And that leaves us with 1,376 active cases and 3,368 people in isolation. 
Big news on the federal political scene, too. The Trudeau government laid out priorities for its upcoming term in office during the throne speech today. The Liberal roadmap, one to steer Canadians out of the COVID-19 crisis and back on a path to prosperity. Global's Mercedes Stevenson joins us with more on this. Uh, Mercedes, there was a lot of talk, obviously, about COVID-19 and the economy, including money for something that B.C. really relies on. Absolutely. Tourism. And as you know, beautiful British Columbia and my heart breaks that I haven't been able to go there with COVID-19. You guys rely so heavily on tourism, whether it is the boat tours out to see whales, people coming to visit uh, the interior of BC and enjoy places like Peachland, houseboat holidays, nature hikes, you name it. People come from all over the world to see British Columbia. And that has just been almost ground to a complete halt by COVID-19. So today the Prime Minister is promising some relief, including in the way of extending the wage subsidy until the summer of 2021. Take a listen to what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had to say about that. In addition to extending the wage subsidy, the government will take further steps to bridge vulnerable businesses to the other side of the pandemic by expanding the Canada Emergency Business Account to help businesses with fixed costs by improving the business credit availability program, and by introducing further support for industries that have been the hardest hit, including travel and tourism. Okay, the Governor General uh, speaking, but those are obviously uh, Justin Trudeau's priorities, Mercedes. After the throne speech today, the PM gave a rare national address where he said the second wave of COVID-19 was underway, at least in parts of Canada. Yeah, very rare. And the prime minister used it to essentially try to half be prime minister dad and scare people out of their COVID complacency, saying, if you think March and April were bad, you haven't seen anything yet compared to what could happen this fall unless people start social distancing, not having big social gatherings, wash your hands, wear a mask. Uh, but also used it to drive home his point uh, about the throne speech, arguing that's the reason why the government is implementing many of the measures that they are in fact proposing. I want to throw to a quick clip from the Prime Minister so you can hear exactly what he had to say. In our four biggest provinces, the second wave isn't just starting, it's already underway. The numbers are clear. Back on March 13th, when we went into lockdown, there were 47 new cases of COVID-19. Yesterday alone, we had well over a thousand. We're on the brink of a fall that could be much worse than the spring. I know this isn't the news that any of us wanted to hear. The question now is whether there will be an election out of all of this, really in the hands of the NDP. They're saying they want an extension to serve and sick leave. So far, the government hasn't budged on that. But with climbing COVID numbers, a lot of folks who aren't too keen for a fall federal election. Sophie? All right. Thanks for that. Mercedes Stevenson in Ottawa. The first storm of the fall season hit us right on cue. Much of the south coast had a soggy start to the day, and the rain isn't letting up anytime soon. Sarah McDonald has the latest. Just like clockwork, fall has arrived on the south coast. With the soggy, gusty, and destructive conditions coming right along with it. I hate the cold. I'm cold in, like, July. I needed a shower anyway. The rain and winds impossible to ignore across parts of the province on Wednesday, with Metro Vancouver hit with a rainfall warning. 
and lots of it. Up to 70 millimeters of rain could fall by midday Thursday. That's essentially the width of your iPhone in precipitation. The region's taking the brunt of the deluge. The North Shore, House Sound and White Rock. Flash flooding is also of concern with roads ripe for hydroplaning. And I have to uh, drive safe and be caution and careful. As the wet weather means big business for professional drivers, turning a profit as transit riders look to dodge the elements. Several months, bad business. Today is very good for us, honestly. Making this weather system a one-two punch? The wind, with gusts of up to 60 kilometers an hour kicking things up a notch, downing trees and knocking out power in some places. Our crews are ready to respond and will work very hard to get people back up as quickly and safely as we possibly can. And with the rain expected to just keep on coming. We all needed the rain, so you got to get it sometime. There's no question. Fall is upon us. Sarah McDonald, Global News. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon for more on this very active weather, Christy, including a severe thunderstorm warning now in effect. Very rare for us to get a warning like this across the south coast, but it's in place right now for the west coast of Vancouver Island. These areas in yellow are under a watch, meaning there's the potential for severe thunderstorms to develop in those regions. And it was all because of this band that prompted that warning moving through the Tofino, Tassis area. That has now shifted further south. Not a lot of lightning strikes in that right now, but what we can expect from this band is more heavy rain at times, gusty winds as well. And this will likely shift into the Metro Vancouver region within the next hour. So this evening, very wet and windy with the potential for lightning as well. So certainly keep your ear out for that. Anytime you hear thunder, you have the potential of getting struck by lightning. So it's really important to head indoors. All right, Christy, thank you. We'll talk to you in a bit. Fears of Valdez Island residents are coming true overnight. Wind and waves generated by that storm last night tore apart a derelict float home. That float home capsized off the island on Sunday as it was being towed and had to be cut loose. It ended up grounded on some submerged rocks where it is now being battered to pieces. Residents in Vancouver's Mount Pleasant neighborhood are on heightened alert lately after a couple of suspicious incidents were reported to police. On Sunday, just before 1 p.m., a woman was walking her dog by Main and East First when she noticed two men following her. They would stare at their cell phones whenever she looked back at them, and when she got home safely, she called police. The next day, just before 10.30 in the evening, a woman in the area of Scotia Street in East Broadway says a man in an older silver sedan approached her and asked her to make a phone call for him. She declined and called police after seeing warnings on social media about attempted abductions in the area. So just to clarify, the Vancouver Police have not received any reports of attempted abductions or abductions. However, we are taking those two incidents that happened earlier this week very seriously, and we will be speaking to businesses in the area, following up, uh, just gathering more evidence and possibly video. Police say it's unclear at this time if the incidents are related. Anyone experiencing a similar incident is being asked to call police. Yet another disturbing incident at the homeless camp in Vancouver's Strathcona Park. A man is in critical condition tonight, rushed to hospital after lying on the ground for hours. Even more troubling, police say some people in the camp are telling others not to call police when there's trouble. John Waugh reports. A young man found brutally assaulted. How long was he laying there badly hurt? No one knows for sure. 
no one called police, no one called for paramedics, and this man uh, was laying there for a very long time and, and, and could have died. Vancouver police say on Monday evening, paramedics were eventually called by an unknown person to the Strathcona Park encampment. The victim, a man in his late 20s, is now in critical but stable condition in hospital. The injured victim may have been lying on the ground up to 12 hours before the 911 call was made. Residents of the tent city don't believe this could happen on their watch and say it may have occurred outside the sanctioned area. They call Camp KT. I did walk around and so did the other matriarch and ask if anyone needed any type of medical support and there was no response. Vancouver police say that may point to a much larger problem. Anecdotally, police have been hearing that residents of the park are encouraged not to call us in a time of need and that's so concerning for us. They're been ordered by politicians and their leadership not to respond, not to come in, and not to talk to us. People in the neighborhood who've witnessed a recent increase in crime and violence say it doesn't matter who's to blame for the communication breakdown when this entire community is begging for help. We actually need the support from VPD and we need the support from everyone. I mean, we need the support from our political leaders to step up and do their jobs. This serious assault is just the latest violent incident to leave Strathcona residents living both indoors or outside, feeling unsafe in their homes. Campers aren't safe, residents aren't safe, kids aren't safe. End of story. John Hua, Global News. Victoria police are asking for your help to track down an electric scooter that was stolen from a BC Special Olympics athlete. The scooter was taken from outside Hillside Mall in Victoria Monday afternoon around 4 o'clock. Police released photographs that show a man carrying a scooter away in a shopping cart. He's described as a 30 to 40 year old white man around 6 feet tall with a slim to medium build. He was wearing a blue tracksuit at the time and a Nike baseball hat. Anyone with information is asked to call Victoria Police. Paying the price for the college admissions cheating scandal, millionaire BC businessman and philanthropist David Sadu left his home to serve a 90-day sentence in a U.S. prison for what he did to get his sons into an elite U.S. college. Why it might not exactly be hard time in just over a minute. The robot janitor in a London transportation hub that can kill COVID on the spot later on the news hour. And some worrying moments for U.S. Vice President Mike Pence. Why his plane had to make an emergency landing immediately after takeoff. That's coming up. Right now, though, Global News has learned that wealthy Vancouverite David Sidhu has checked into the Federal Bureau of Prisons for his part in the college admissions scandal. The philanthropist will serve time at a U.S. federal institution somewhere in the Pacific Northwest after pleading guilty in the cheating scheme that got his sons into an elite university. Catherine Urquhart has the details. Wealthy Vancouverite David Sidhu is now behind bars after reporting to the Federal Bureau of Prisons. His exact location remains unclear, but he was due to be placed in a prison in the Pacific Northwest. Sidhu is serving 90 days after being convicted of conspiracy to commit mail and wire fraud in the U.S. college admission scandal. The big house he's accustomed to is very different. Sidhu's crime? He paid $200,000 to have a professional test writer impersonate his two sons, then write high school and SAT exams for them. 
that got the Sidhu children into prestigious U.S. colleges. Despite all the evidence, Sidhu continued to deny the elaborate scheme. He just entered a plea of not guilty. Sidhu is one of more than 50 people who were charged in the wide-reaching scandal. Among the others, actress Felicity Huffman, who served 11 days of a two-week sentence. Actress Lori Loughlin is due to begin a two-month sentence beginning November 19th. We're talking about deception and fraud. Fake test scores, fake athletic credentials, fake photographs, bribed college officials. Mining executive Sidhu once played for the BC Lions and had a field named after him at UBC. His conviction prompted UBC to remove his name. Also, he was stripped of his order of BC. The intangibles are going to hurt. Uh, he's going to lose, lost the order of British Columbia. The night is beginning now. No more U.S. travel as a criminal, so any hope for a legacy is gone. In addition to the jail time, Sidhu must pay a $250,000 fine. As a newly admitted inmate, the 61-year-old will be quarantined for 14 days because of the pandemic. He is due to be released days before Christmas. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Up next, a homeless man set on fire. This could be someone that really planned a vicious act. Where this callous crime happened and the search for the suspect. Also ahead, overdose deaths keep on rising. What can be done about it? Traffic is steady both ways over at the Batello Bridge. Keep in mind that Front Street remains closed from end to end due to a fire investigation. You can just use Columbia or Royal Avenue instead. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A 20-year-old homeless man is recovering from serious injuries after being deliberately set on fire in Campbell River. It happened early Tuesday morning, and as Brad McLeod reports, the victim had been sleeping under a bridge when he was attacked. He was burned underneath this bridge Tuesday morning. At 7.30, uh, the RCMP and BC Ambulance Service uh, received a call of a gentleman that uh, had been set on fire. The 20-year-old was sleeping and awoke to find he was ablaze. He removed the layers of melting and burning clothes and made his way to this business near the island highway, where a couple of fishermen heard his cries. Uh, the young man would obviously be in some extensive amounts of pain. The injuries he sustained are quite serious. There are some severe burns to his back and to his hands. Uh, those are lifetime scarring. Police say they are trying to figure out the motive, saying it could have been a targeted hate crime or... Could have been someone that thought they were doing something funny that turned into something absolutely, uh, absolutely terrible. Campbell River, like many communities, is struggling with housing their homeless. The last point-in-time count was done in 2018. 81 people were experiencing homelessness then and nearly half identified themselves as Indigenous. It's hard to determine exactly how long he was in the brick, um, waiting for somebody to try and find him or help him. The victim has left the hospital, but police say his injuries are severe. RCMP want anyone who was in the area of the Campbell River brick store Tuesday morning between 3.30 to 7.30 a.m. to share what they saw or could have recorded on dash cam. Brad McLeod, Global News. 
Well, August proved to be another deadly month as B.C.'s other health crisis rages on. 147 people died because of an overdose or illicit drug toxicity. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, that grim toll has now topped 100 people per month for six straight months. Month after month, B.C.'s other health emergency is taking lives at an astonishing rate. Despite the perception of the opioid crisis being centered on the streets of the downtown east side, 60% of all deaths happening inside residential homes. In August, nearly five people every day died from the tainted drug supply. I think the government really can be looking towards broader health systems planning on how we can create a cohesive substance use system of care. According to the coroner, 147 people in August died by overdose a 71% increase year-over-year from 2019. The number is down slightly from July, 16% fewer deaths than the record high of 171. What is alarming healthcare providers is the volume of overdose calls, 7,500 over the last three months, the most ever. While the NDP implemented a ministry specifically to deal with mental health and addiction, some are questioning whether the government over the last three and a half years has done enough. The Premier blaming a lack of support from his minority partner, the Green Party, for not doing more. This summer we brought forward a bill to protect young people who who were admitted to hospital after an overdose. And the bill would have allowed those children to stay under medical supervision for a week. And the Green Party wouldn't support that bill. The bill was also opposed by the representative for children and Indigenous leaders province-wide. The Liberals who were in power when the health crisis was declared in 2016, are promising a different take if they form government. We have to start talking about prevention with things like prescription monitoring programs that will avoid people getting addicted in the first place. The unstable drug supply combined with winter weather pushing people inside has health providers warning the overdose crisis will continue to get worse. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Marine experts solve a mystery in J-Pod, the gender reveal party for an orca who recently gave birth just ahead. And how an 89-year-old pizza delivery guy became a viral hit on TikTok. busy for eastbound traffic on Highway 1, slow through Vancouver and Burnaby. Watch out for a broken down car just before Sprott's on the right shoulder. Now there's a brand new crash going the other way, westbound, just before First Avenue. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $6 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Air Force Two forced to turn around after striking a bird shortly after takeoff in New Hampshire. Video appears to show the moment it happened, sending sparks flying from one of the plane's engines. Vice President Mike Pence was on board, traveling to Washington following a campaign event. The pilot immediately returned to the airport out of an abundance of caution. 
Well, her name has become a rallying cry for justice around the world. And tonight, more than six months after Breonna Taylor was killed by Louisville police, investigators have announced charges against one of the officers involved. However, it is not in direct connection with Taylor's death. Former police sergeant Brett Hankison, who was fired in June, is charged with first-degree wanton endangerment. The charges are for shooting into neighboring apartments not directly related to Taylor's death. Brianna Taylor was killed in her home on March 13th when police with a no-knock warrant broke down her door. Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron said the challenge was to put emotions aside and investigate the facts. The decision before my office as the special prosecutor in this case was not to decide if the loss of Ms. Taylor's life was a tragedy. The answer to that question is unequivocally yes. A warrant has been issued now for Hankinson's arrest and bail set at $15,000 cash. The two other police officers involved in the police raid were also fired but were not charged. A powerful service for U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg in Washington this morning. Today we stand in mourning of an American hero, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. More than 100 former clerks serving as honorary pallbearers accompanying her casket to the court's Great Hall for private and public ceremonies. Following two days at Supreme Court, Ginsburg will become the first woman to lie in state at the U.S. Capitol. She will be buried after Yom Kippur, the most solemn day in the Jewish calendar. In health matters tonight, another futuristic image in London these days, courtesy of the COVID-19 pandemic. Robots that kill the coronavirus with ultraviolet light have been brought into one of London's biggest train stations. The station manager at St. Pancras International says the robots can kill nearly 100% of the virus in minutes, whether it's on surfaces or in the air. So the robots work by um, moving into a room and automatically mapping out a room and then undertaking a route round the room that's the most effective cleaning um, and quick and effective routes for disinfecting the uh, either room or area that they're in. Transportation systems are scrambling to restore customer confidence in their safety. On Tuesday, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson told people to work from home again where possible to tackle a second wave of COVID-19. Still to come, our 60th celebration continues. As far as I'm concerned, it's how old you are above the chin, and I am young and hard. In black and white, the colorful politics that dominated the 1960s and helped build the BC economy. And coming up in sports, BC boy Chase Claypool proving he belongs in the NFL. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A few weeks ago, we reported that a southern resident killer whale who had carried her dead calf for two weeks back in 2018 had given birth. And now we know it's a boy. Photographer Sarah Haisong Shimazu had an up-close encounter on Tuesday near Point Roberts when the mother rolled her calf, J57, up on her back. The belly was exposed. And she could see it was a boy. Haisung Shimazu says the whales were active and social and that mother and son were bonding beautifully. Good to know. There's, There's hope. There. 
A special delivery for this senior. Why he has become TikTok famous. That's right after Christie's forecast. And you better get ready for some rain mm-hmm. and some wind. She's got the details for us right now. I don't know about you, but this uh, start to fall has been tough to handle, that's for sure, especially after all that smoke. All right, so severe thunderstorm warning has now ended for the west parts of Vancouver Island. It has now turned into a watch. So we still have all of these regions under a severe thunderstorm watch. So we are expecting thunderstorms, and they have the potential of being uh, more intense. If they're more intense, what you can expect is really strong gusty winds, intense downpours of rain, and the possibility of, of course, lightning, uh, or the possibility of hail, I should say. Now, this band here is shifting down across the south, moving across southern Vancouver Island, and will shift into our region. We're already starting to see some of that rain, but the more intense rain is still yet to push in. So through the evening hours, heavy rain, and keep your ear out for thunderstorms, of course. That is a possibility, although we're not seeing many lightning strikes. Now, the heavier rain overnight will ease off. Now, we're still expecting rain tomorrow, spotty conditions, but these cells could be quite intense. But they'll be more brief in that we will see drier periods in between and then brief intensity, but also a risk of thunderstorms. So that continues overnight tonight and through the day tomorrow. So between now and the end of the day tomorrow, we still, despite the rain will be quite sporadic, we still could see another anywhere from 15 to 60 millimeters of rain up through the house sound region. So significant rain with that intensity. Now, these were the peak wind gusts today, quite intense with a number of power outages. We are expecting conditions to remain gusty through the day tomorrow as we start to see these thunderstorms, but especially in through the interior regions overnight tonight, you can expect strong gusty winds. So there's your Thursday forecast. Spotty showers all across the province, a risk of thunderstorms. The interior regions will see more breaks of blue sky in between. But for the south coast region, we likely won't see any breaks. And 15 degrees as our daytime high, which is chilly for this time of year. More rain and wind expected into Friday morning, and we continue to be unsettled as we head into But I want you to point out, Monday, it looks like things are going to return to more sunny, warm weather next week. So we just have to get through the next few days. And I'll leave you with a storm cloud off in the distance trying to rain. This is in Kamloops. Thank you to Sylvia Nicholson. I see blue sky in that picture. Yeah. I see Virga. It's Virga, right? That's exactly right. right, Good job. I remember. Well, a lot of dough for a much loved, hardworking pizza delivery driver in Utah. How do I ever say thank you? I don't know what to say. 89-year-old Derlin Newey has been working about 30 hours a week delivering for Papa John's Pizza to cover the bills his Social Security benefits don't. Newey is so kind people ask for him by name, including Carlos Valdez and his wife. They record Newey's deliveries for their TikTok videos and their 53,000 followers love it. After getting many comments from people wondering why Newey had to work so many hours at his age, remember he's 89, the Valdezes decided to raise money for him. And they did. They personally delivered $12,000 in cash, bringing Newey to tears. That is just the sweetest story all day, right? Oh, happiness. We need some. We totally do. Mm -hmm. Oh, Squire, what do you have for us? (laughs) More happiness? Yes. It's a, come on. <laughs> My segment's the happiest of all. That's true, actually. <laughs> um, yes, it is. Anyway, um, we're going to talk about Chase Claypool. Remember when we were at his house when he got drafted yeah. that night by the Pittsburgh Steelers? Well, he's off to a great start in Pittsburgh. We'll even hear from Ben Roethlisberger talking about how much he likes Chase Claypool. 
Awesome. Also coming up tonight, celebrating our 60th anniversary with a look at the dynasty that dominated politics in the decade this station went on the air. It was one of the greatest moments, I thought, when Claypool was drafted and, mm-hmm. and we were there. It was awesome. Yeah, it was and nice of his family to let us be there when it all went down. And, uh, it's working out for him. It's working out beautifully. And not just for him. It's working out for the Pittsburgh Steelers as well. Uh, Abbotsford's Chase Claypool became a favorite target of quarterbacks when he was at the University of Notre Dame. And now that he's a pro, he's impressing future Hall of Fame quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, not just with his talents, but also with his work ethic. He scored his first ever NFL touchdown last Sunday, and he didn't do it with some one-yard toss. This was memorable stuff. This was an 84-yard bomb. This was a highlight reel touchdown. So from the 16, Ben going to go deep down the far sideline. He's got his man. That ball is caught by pretty cool because sometimes you you hear the play call and you know you're going to score or you know the ball's coming your way so that was one of those plays where you know I knew I had a pretty good chance to get the ball and I just had to kind of win on the route and Ben put it in the perfect spot for me to go do that so it was was pretty cool. Chase Claypool is quickly becoming a go-to guy for Ben Roethlisberger two games into his NFL career and Claypool's delivered two clutch receptions the kind of catches you'd expect a seasoned veteran to be making not a rookie who didn't get a chance to dip his toes into NFL action with a few exhibition games. Yeah, you know, I, I think he's doing really well, um, really well considering, like you say, he's a rookie with no preseason. Um, we got to see early on, though, that he was going to have that success, or we believed he was, because um, even in the OTAs and mini camps, and when we were throwing um, at Robert Morris in the offseason, you could just see that that he was a guy that, that already knew what he was doing and already had an understanding of the offense. And he's looking to go in all by himself, and he gets it. That pass is complete to the far side of the field, caught by Claypool. Two games in, and Claypool's averaging just over 25 yards of reception. He's caught five balls for 127 yards, and it's very obvious he has a strong understanding of the Steelers' playbook, a playbook he started to absorb months ago back home here in B.C. It was honestly super helpful that we were able to get to the playbook in that virtual mini camp thing um, and then so I would get the plays and run through them on the field with one of my coaches back home and I think that kind of helped me visualize things so I would just get the install and run through it on the field and try to get that to stick. I've said it numerous times he'll make a mistake but it won't be more than you know he won't do it two times and so um, you know we're just really happy with his progress and hope that he keeps growing. Pete Carroll was not about to argue that $100,000 fine he got, along with some other coaches, for taking their masks off at times during games in week number two. He did say, though, old habits are hard to break, but being out one hundred grand will really help you break them in a hurry. If you watch us on the sidelines, some guys coach one way and some guys coach another way. Well, I'm kind of on the move and I got a lot of stuff I, I got to get across to whomever. <laughs> At least it seems like that's the case. Anyway, we've got to figure it out and got to do better. That's, that's obviously the case. It's too important to wear these masks and it's too important. Really, if nothing else, we, we send a good image out and we got to, I got to send a better image out. Um, we think it's all part of it. I just did a poor job game time. 
Steven Stamkos back for the Lightning. Hasn't played since February. Good start for Tampa Bay. Man down, puck loose. Nikita Kucherov, one zip. And then it is time to get Stamkos on the board. The captain down the right side, check missed. You don't give him that kind of room. I don't care if he hasn't played since November. This guy always remembers how to do this. Score goals. That's what he does for a living. He fills nets. So it's 2-0. Power play for the Lightning goes wrong, though. Jason Dickinson, quick shot, 2-1. Dallas has become famous for their playoff comebacks, but tonight, not going so well. 2-1, that didn't spark anything. This is a Victor Hedman goal. That made it 3-1. It's now 5-1 Tampa after two. Well, he was one of the greatest running backs in NFL history. Gail Sayers died today at the age of 77, inducted into the Hall of Fame at the age of 34 only. Played just seven seasons in the NFL because of injuries, but when this guy played, there were few better. In fact, Pete Carroll said today that he was his hero when he was growing up, and he wore number 40 because he loved Gail Sayers. And the Vancouver Whitecaps played a night down in LAFC. Uh, the Whitecaps have won three of their last four, so they're on a bit of a roll right now. Let's see if they can keep it going. Thanks. All right. All right, here's Jay Durant with a preview of Global News at 11. Thanks very much, Chris. We are on Stormwatch this evening, keeping a close eye on the situation across Metro Vancouver. Strong winds are expected along the coast and heavy rain in areas such as Coquitlam, Pitt Meadows, and Maple Ridge. Plus, the RCMP is responding to reports that officers with beards are being taken off frontline duty because of safety concerns related to their inability to wear protective masks in the proper manner. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. All right. Thank you, Jay. Up next, as we mark 60 years on the air, we'll turn to the politics of the past, which were truly wacky. Global BC 60th Anniversary in partnership with Connect Hearing, the number one physician-referred hearing provider. You need the old BCTV music. It's cool. To revive that. <laughs> As we celebrate 60 years of bringing you the news, we are looking back on each decade tonight. Uh, tonight, looking back on the political dynasty of the 1960s. Yeah, and especially the man who defined that decade and left a legacy of things you'll recognize still today. W.A.C. Bennett, the social credit premier, led the charge in creating our province's strong economy. And Keith Baldry has his story. Democracy isn't the most efficient type of government that the world has developed, but it's by far the best. In the 1960s, one man dominated B.C. politics like no one had before or has since. As far as I'm concerned, it's how old you are above the chin, and I am young and hard. His name was William Andrew Cecil Bennett, better known as W.A.C. Bennett, or as both his admirers and detractors would call him, Wacky Bennett. And there will be another great dividend given by social credit to the great people of this province of British Columbia. In the 1950s, Bennett assumed the leadership of a political fringe party called Social Credit and turned it into a political dynasty. He won four consecutive elections in the 1960s, receiving healthy majorities each time. As long as I'm Premier, we'll always have Medicare because I look on Medicare as one of the great services that all Canadians should have. 
Bennett has been hailed as a visionary who opened up the province with a network of highways and a series of hydroelectric dams that brought cheap power to so many homes. Purchasing the black ball uh, line, uh, the toll authority uh, is going to immediately, forthwith, call tenders for two new ships. He was fiscally conservative and an ardent free enterpriser, but that didn't stop him from nationalizing important services, turning private blackball ferries into the publicly owned BC Ferry Corporation, turning BC Electric into BC Hydro. He even bought a railway. The Honorable Mr. Gillardy came to the Premier's office at 1 p.m. this afternoon and uh, said that uh, he wished to tender his resignation as Minister of Highways for the province of British Columbia. But he was not without controversy. Colorful political characters such as Highways Minister Phil Gaglardi, who collected speeding tickets with regularity, sometimes put his government in uncomfortable positions. As the decade drew to a close, it was clear a new generation was coming onto the scene. BC got a serious dose of Trudeau mania just in time for the 1968 federal election. Protests of various stripes began to mount, and the end of the decade saw the emergence of another future political titan, a former social worker named Dave Barrett. Anyone who criticizes these women for fighting for their children does not understand the plight that they're in. W.A.C. Bennett won one last election in 1969, a fitting way to close out the decade. And it's all for the benefit of people, and, and I want to continue that as long as the people want me to continue it, and I have good health. What lay ahead in the next decade would also leave a political legacy that stands to this day, just as Bennett's has. Keith Baldry, Global News. What are they going to say about, you know, John Horgan, Andrew Wilkinson, Sonia first to know six will, years from now? <laughs> will history be kind? But you pointed out, Squire, the Gallardi name is still like, well. Phil Gallardi drive downtown, right? Yeah, Phil. Well, just over here, uh, Phil Gallardi, the the road that I guess goes up to SFU, or does it go all the way up? Anyway, mm -hmm. whatever the case, his son Tom owns a team that's in the Stanley Cup final, the Dallas Stars. That's right. Mm -hmm. Still and doing. Tried okay. to buy the Canucks too, right? He tried. Well, he tried to buy the Canucks, and then that thing unraveled, and <laughs> Didn't really work. the Aquilinis ended up with it. <laughs> right. More BC history. <laughs> All right, final word on weather, Christy. Thanks so much. So, yes, uh, still a potential for heavy rain across the lower mainland, just starting to push in. And you can see a band of thunderstorms off in the distance there. I did have some emails from people across Vancouver Island that are seeing a bit of sunshine. It won't last long. You still have a risk of thunderstorms. And here's a quick look. Oh, your five-day forecast. Rain tomorrow, on and off. Don't right. get excited. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for watching, everybody. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night, all.